so much about suffering. Why do we think about suffering so much within the, the framework of the Christian life? And, you know, sometimes I think about my, my secular counterparts who tend maybe at times to take a more stoic approach to life. And I just wonder, well, maybe that's how I should be. Maybe I shouldn't care so much about what's wrong in, in my life or in the, peop- the, the lives of the people that I love or the people around me. Maybe I should just, you know, just not care so much. Um, so why is it? I mean, is, is, it a, is it some sign of some weird weakness or something within the Christian faith that we, that we talk about suffering so much that it's become such a part of, of our conversation? And I, I wanted to um, just noodle on that for a second. I think it's an interesting question. Why this connection between suffering and the Christian faith? And uh, there's a lot of answers to this question, but I wanted to, you know, raise a couple. First of all, I think that we have a close connection to suffering, um, and we're more attuned to it. And it, some of these reasons, I think, even make us more prone to it. Um, but first of all, because Christianity, our faith is idealistic. Our faith is idealistic idealistic. In other words, we continue to hold on to a picture of how things are supposed to be. And as we study the scriptures, God helps, he nurtures that vision within us. And so we're very attuned to the ways that this world is broken. And the deeper that we dig into that heavenly vision, the more we may experience just how far this world falls short of that vision. And that's the gap in which suffering is experienced. Another reason that we have this close connection to suffering is because the Christian faith, our faith, is very realistic. I love this about our beliefs. That we're called by the scripture to look clearly at at the world and ourselves. And what's broken with the world and what's broken in us. And the reason that we can do that actually is because we have hope that that, those broken things could be changed. A real hope, which we celebrate when we celebrate the resurrection, which we remember when we remember the resurrection, that there's a real hope. So we can look realistically at what is wrong in the world and what's wrong in ourselves because there's a hope that it can be changed and transformed. If I didn't have that hope, I would want to pivot away from brokenness and suffering and, and things that are wrong and just try to minimize the, the exposure and the space in my mind that those things took up, right? But because of our faith, you know, in theory, we can see more clearly. And this is why maybe sometimes we experience a deeper attachment to suffering. And then there's a third reason. There's many reasons, but there's a third one I want to just bring up. And that is that, um, that Christianity is redemptive and redemption comes through suffering. Christianity is redemptive and redemp- that's the story. It's sort of axiomatic to the Christian faith. And it goes back to Jesus and Jesus going to the cross. And him on that cross through suffering winning redemption you know, the transformation ultimately of the world through his suffering work on the cross. Now, we don't, that, that's one and done. That's completely taken care of. What Jesus did on that cross is not repeatable. We don't do that. But we do 
participate in the sufferings of Christ whenever we enter into the brokenness that is part of this world. And that's actually what we're called to do. We're called to be like Jesus in the sense that we enter into places where there is brokenness and hurting pain. We actually take that onto ourselves to be part of the healing work that is that is stemming from the cross but continues to work itself out. So that Paul could say, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he goes around and he's at different churches uh, and he's helping them. He doesn't have to do that, right? He does that because he is entering into people's lives to be an agent of healing and redemption. And that's what we do too. And when we're doing that, we're following that line. So he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he suffered a ton for the sake of others. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church, Colossians 1, 24. All right, so three reasons why suffering is connected to the Christian faith, why we talk about it so much within the context of our Christian faith, and why maybe that's a little bit different than what uh, we might experience outside with a different worldview. I think there are other reasons why suffering is a big part of the Christian life. For example, we didn't talk about spiritual warfare, but that is a big part of this conversation. I think this is enough to make the point. And it's because of this close connection to suffering that we find ourselves talking about it frequently. Uh, and, and then we come to the point of the text we're going to look at today, which is how it is that we're made strong in the face of suffering. We're made strong to be able to enter into suffering, to be able to cross through. There's a beautiful phrase that we'll get to um, about about you know, ultimately God leading his people through the storm of trouble. And we're going to land on that one uh, in, our, in our time this morning. But so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to read and explain our text, which is Zechariah 10. If you want to open up to Zechariah 10, that would be great. If you want to pull it up on your device, that'd be great. We will put it on the screen so you can also look at it there. We're not going to read the whole thing. What I want to do uh, is is look at a portion of it. I'll sort of explain, you know, the rest of it. Uh, and then I've got three ways for us to become strong in the Lord. So three ways to become strong in the Lord. That's where we're going to land uh, with Zechariah 10. All right. So Zechariah 10, uh, um, we're going to look at the text. I'm titling this, A People in Need of Strengthening. And I just want to, I just want to pat you on the back and say, or, or ask you to pat yourselves on the back, um, for having made it thus far in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 10. This is amazing. You guys are amazing. Uh, I, I, you know, my friends ask me all the time, hey, what are you preaching through these days? And I've been, I'll say Zechariah. And they're like, ooh, why are you doing that, you know? And the reason is because it's an amazing book with incredible truths all throughout. And what I love about this later section that we're going through is that there are so many allusions to Christ. It's just, it's just like they just pop everywhere you look. Um, and, and, and those first visions, they were wild, you know, but they were so many powerful truths. And I feel like this, 
this whole thing, this rejoice in the day of small things fits so well with where we are as a society, with the pandemic, and where we are as a church. And so, um, so that's why we're in Zechariah. But I just want to encourage you and, and just uh, for, for your, your work in this process. Um, we went through the eight visions. We're working through these last chapters. Um, and we're going to do this last part of the book of Zechariah more quickly. It's filled with a number of oracles that combine lots of different elements at once. And so, um, you know, there's foreshadowings of the life of Jesus, which I mentioned, which are incredible. Um, and so what we're going to do today is I'm going to tell you what's happening in this, in this passage in chapter 10. And then I'm going to read a manageable portion of it. And then we'll jump right into what this means for us today. I really want to make sure that while we're digging around in Zechariah, we also get to today uh, and things that can really impact the way that we live. So um, Zechariah 10 is about bad leadership that leads to bad outcomes, bad leadership that leads to bad outcomes among the people of Israel. In particular, what the leadership uh, results in is that the people are seeking to meet their needs. Uh, in, in this case, for them, they're, they're longing for rain, they're seeking to meet their needs through the worship of idols instead of by praying to the living God, the Lord, to Yahweh. Um, and all these idols are making them weak. That's, that's kind of the point. So we're talking about being made strong today. These idols are making them weak. The idols are making them weak. And the, the words that are used is they're wandering and afflicted. They're wandering and afflicted. So the Lord will get rid of the bad leaders, and he will establish one who he calls the cornerstone, which now we should start thinking what we know about the New Testament and Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, what is a cornerstone? When you're building a building, um, especially uh, in the architectural style of that day uh, and, the, and the mode of architecture, you would put down the cornerstone, which had to be a very, very important stone that was perfect in its dimensions because every other stone in the building would take their shape and their alignment and their placement from that cornerstone. So that cornerstone needed to be dead on. It needed to be right. It needed to be true. And then all the rest of the building would take shape. And so um, this shepherd will be uh, the cornerstone. This new leader will be a cornerstone of a new house being built. And right, the, the theme all throughout um, the book of Zechariah has been the rebuilding of the temple. And so there's perhaps some allusion to that here. Uh, the cornerstone is the first stone of the building. Uh, all the other ones are aligned. And then there's a bunch of interesting descriptions that come in this chapter for how this leader, um, who we come to recognize as the Christ figure, will shepherd his people. And let me just, let me just, say, just share with you some of the phrases that come out of this chapter. He will bring them back. So he'll bring them back. He will answer their prayers. He will hear them. Um, he will redeem them which we'll read in a second. He'll bring them home. Home is a beautiful metaphor, right, for what we all long for. We long to be home, ultimately. That's a, a longing that's been embedded deep inside of us. And this leader, this cornerstone, this shepherd will bring them. Um, I love the passage that was read this morning, the call to worship, that Jesus is the good shepherd, right? So all these threads start to really come into full high definition color when we get into the New Testament and Jesus comes on the scene. He'll gather them, he'll multiply them, and most significantly, he will make them strong, at least for our message today. He will make them strong, and that seems to be the theme of this particular chapter. So Zechariah 10.8, here's what it says. 
I will whistle for them and gather them in. Now, we don't think of whistling as a positive thing. When somebody whistles for you, you're like, oh. But you got to put this in the context of the shepherd. Um, This is a shepherd whistling for the sheep. And it's one of the most beautiful things I would imagine. I don't, I guess I haven't seen it uh, in person. But a shepherd could go out and there could be sheep all over the hillside. They could even be sheep that are mixed with other flock. And they're all chaotically strewn about the mountainside. And when the shepherd, who has a unique whistle, whistles, all the sheep come to be part, to come back into the flock. They separate out even from the flock that they've been commingled with. When they hear the whistle, when they hear his voice as well, they come, the shepherds come. And so he says, I will whistle for them I will, and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I, this is it, verse 12, underline this verse if you're in your Bible and you're trying to figure out what to pull out of this. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. And then finally, there is one last element that's in this text. um, And that is when all of this happens, others will see what the Lord is doing with his people. And they, in particular, the children of the people, their children will see it and they will rejoice greatly. So there's a praise element in this chapter 10, which is the appropriate natural response to God's strengthening. In fact, it becomes part of the strengthening of God's people. That they, that they rejoice in what the Lord is doing. So that's Zechariah 10. Um, and what I'd like to pull out of this for us as we think about today is a, a recipe for strength. A recipe for strength. So out of this oracle of Zechariah, a recipe for strength uh, emerges um, and, and I want you to pause for a second and think about how you will apply this to your life today. How will you apply this strengthening recipe? How are you going to eat this food that we're making this morning um, as we look in the book of Zechariah together? So let me subge- suggest a few things. Some of you are afflicted because of what you lack right now. And, and that's that's connected to the people of Israel. They lacked rain, and so they were seeking rain, and they were going to the wrong place to try to have that need met. Um, some of you are afflicted by relational strains today. So the Israelites had an extreme version of that um, in that they were literally surrounded um, by unpredictable and potentially overwhelming armies that were arrayed around them. And so, you know, we have our relational tensions in life. Uh, Israel would have that, and they have this layer of it, right, which is the tension with the nations around them and a good deal of fear, 
coming from that place. Some of you this morning maybe are afflicted by a sense of being scattered or disconnected. Um, I'm in these days uh, losing somebody very close to me uh, through dementia, arguably the person most close to me in the history of my life. Um, and um, the thing that hits me in this process is how scattered it makes me feel. Um, there's a reason I'm not saying exactly details, but, um, uh, you know, to, to experience this is to experience a sense of being disconnected in a slow process that is hard to wrap my mind around. And so when I think about suffering this morning, I think, and I was thinking about scatter, being scattered and disconnected, that's the place that, that hits, hits me uh, on that verse. And maybe you've got something similar going on in your life where things are happening that have caused you to, to feel scattered and, and disconnected. Uh, and then some of you may be really experiencing suffering as a result of answering the call of God in your life and proactively entering into the lives of others on mission to be an agent of redemption and healing in the lives of other people. And when you do that, that's a very risky thing to do because you... You, it's, it's not like you just to get to be clinically on the side and entering in and you can keep yourself all clean and neat and tidy and, and just help people, right? We know the way that relationship works. It's, it's deep. It's messy. And so when you enter into the lives of others in, in, in ministry and life, it, it, you, know, you enter into suffering in a very real way. And that's beautiful because that's like Jesus and that's redemptive. But it's hard. So I want you to connect, if you can, with your suffering. And then, and then I'd like for us to consider what emerges from this text, this recipe for being strengthened. And I'll just say, if you're not suffering in any way today, bless you and... Store this up for the day when it's coming, because it will come. All right, ingredient number one is remove idols. For the household gods utter nonsense, this is in verse two, therefore the people wander like sheep, they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. Today Jesus is speaking to us about putting away our idols, that's one of the calls that emerges from this text. You want to be strong, put away your idols. Because idols have a weakening impact on us. Now, we, um, you know, back in the day in which this was written, when Zechariah was speaking, you know, um, the idol was actually a, a physical statue that they would go to and pray to so that, for example, rain might come. And remember, you know, we're not supposed to make an idol out of the living, out of Yahweh. No idols, because he's living. He's not a statue. And so there was this tension that they were worshiping gods represented in physical statues, these idols. And so we don't tend to think of it that way. We don't 
tend to go to little uh, statues, although there are, is some of that in our world still now and even in our context here. Um, today we talk about idols usually in more of a non-physical kind of a way. And um, Tim Keller famously defined it this way. He, you know, he's just really put this on the table for us to consider this whole concept of, of idols, at least in the latest iteration. And I love the way he defines this. I'll put the de- definition up here. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. We um, Actually, this comes from our study in the book of Hosea. And then now we've put it squarely in our Gospel Academy gospel course is a a process of thinking through idols. And I feel like, you know, we should sort of throw this up every quarter or something. Because this is such a significant part of who we are. We should sort of sit down and have the idol conversation, you know, on a quarterly basis here from the pulpit. Um, Because it's so huge, right? So I'm going to put up a very potentially overwhelming chart for you. Um, and, um, and would love for you to, um, well, okay, I'll make, th- we'll make this available in whatever way is helpful for you, but it's in the study guide for your home group, um, today. And so is it kind of small? Yeah. Some of you, if you, if, if you, I see one person looking at the back, if you need to, if it's too small up here, we're going to, it's in the home group study guide. And I really hope and pray that throughout this week, as you sit down as home groups, you'll be able to work through some of this in a more one-on-one kind of a, a way. Um, but this is, we'll make this available in whatever way. And on the left side, it says longings. So we have these deep longings inside of us. That's part of what it means to be a human being, for approval, for comfort, for control, for power, for belonging, for intimacy, for significance, for transcendence. And this is not an exhaustive list in any way. We first put this up in our study of Hosea. Uh, and just to say suggestively, this are the kinds of things that we're, we, we grapple with. Um, And then the idol is what we go to to fulfill that longing. So the longing is there because it's part of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. And then the idol is what we, we try to go to to fulfill that longing. So for approval, we might go to social media, right? When you're scrolling through and you're looking how many likes you have and all that kind of stuff, you're trying to figure out, you're trying to find approval or significance in that. Um, your academics, right? Comfort. We go shopping because we want to find things that will make us comfortable. And, and we, if we have a lot of money in our bank account, right? Or we get things, right? We, we control. Control. We have a longing for things not to be out of control. And so we pursue order. Um, we pursue cleanliness. Order can become an idol, though, right? Because it can, it can do things like exclude relationships in ways that are harmful. Um, cleanliness, body image, scheduling things, uh, power, you know, sex, career, roles, intellect, belonging, drugs, gangs, political parties. We can try to find a sense of belonging in all of these places and social movements, you know, and it's not even to say that these are all wrong. It's just to say that if you put them in the ultimate place, they're going to weaken you. They're not going to deliver on what you're hoping. Um, uh, Intimacy, sex, porn, social media, significance, Social media, we could put relationships in the intimacy piece there too, right? I mean, how many times have we seen this where there's a relationship that's good, but we're making it 
everything. We're making it an ultimate thing. And then that can destroy their relationship. And it's just a sad, it's a sad thing because when you bring two people together, if they're finding their significance in God, then, that's, then they have something to share with, with each other. Um, okay, and then transcendence. You know, we all have a longing for, tra- we, 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 we know there's a spiritual realm. We want to connect with it somehow. And so then we look to these things that are not God um, to be able to try to fulfill that longing. So that's a lot to put up, you know, on a Sunday morning for you. Um, but I, and so I'm, I'm not going to walk through how you decouple from each one of these idols um, on a Sunday morning here. Um, but I, I want to encourage you to, first of all, grasp this idea that idols weaken. If you want to be made strong, you've got to let go. You've got to decouple from the idols. And the general process for that is to identify the idol, repent of the idol, and then replace the idol with the true God. So find out how does God meet the need. So, for example, you'll hear us talk a lot about, you know, you're a chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed, sealed child of God. That's who you are. All throughout the history of the church, that's a phrase we've used. And I love it when somebody's standing up here and they quote that or when I'm talking to them and they quote that because they've absorbed that powerful truth about who they are. That goes to your significance, right? If you really understood that, you wouldn't go to these other things to try to meet the hunger or the longing for significance. And so um, this is the way, that's just one example of how God meets all those needs. And so it's a process. This is life working through, okay, God, how do you want to meet this longing that I'm trying to fulfill in this unhealthy way? Identify and repent and replace the idol. Um, So I'm encouraging you to spend some time this week in your home group. If you're not a home group, get in a home group. Work through some of this. Be transparent. Share honestly about where your idols are and pray for one another. Repent, you know. Help each other understand how God's going to fulfill that longing in your life. So the first one is we have to remove idols. The second one, ingredient now, is reconnect with God and with people. And these phrases, I've already quoted some of them. He talks about bringing people back, answering their prayers, redeeming them, bringing them home, gathering them, multiplying them. And these are words that reflect on the vertical relationship we have with God and the horizontal relationships that we have with people. And part of being strengthened is to reconnect or connect with God. If you're here and you're seeking, you're not sure if you're a Christian, the way that you connect with God is through Jesus Christ and the thing we've been talking about, Him atoning for sin on the cross and then being raised again. Um, That's the center of it all. And so if you want to connect with God, you connect by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your your Savior, the one who atoned for your sin, and your Lord, the one who's going to meet all these needs, right? He's going to give you guidance in life. So reconnecting, but some of us have been disconnected from God through whatever buffeting we've experienced in the pandemic and beyond. And so now's a season to reconnect with God and to reconnect with others. I was at a party last weekend and uh, I saw somebody who I thought maybe goes to our church, wasn't sir anymore because, you know, I haven't seen this person for a while. And so we sort of started talking and you could see that moment where like feeling each other out, you know, and I have the pastor layer on top of that, you know, you know, and just kind of listening. But it was so cool because it just sort of broke open 
And we started having this conversation, and we ended up having this 20-minute, like, mutually encouraging, deep, and profound con- conversation that was just so uh, life-giving, I think, to this person and, and to me. And the secret ingredient was presence. That's what had been absent in our relationship. And presence came back in, and God worked with that in a powerful way. So we got to reconnect with uh, God and with people. Uh, absolutely critical. Um, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sick. Uh, this is the allergy season for me. So you know how it is these days. Whenever you pull out a tissue, it's like, whoa. Uh, so just want to throw that out there. All right. So um, and then the last one is renew praise. Um, their children see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Um, and my wife loves to talk about the relationship between praise and being strengthened, and she lives it. Um, and there's something about just lifting up your voice in praise that strengthens, that brings strength. I experience that every Sunday as I'm standing here in the front row, and I am just called into worship and, and lift. I mean, I'm not pretending you know, when I'm lifting up my arms, I'm, I think I'm one of the more dramatic worshipers here. You should all join me in that drama- dramatic. Miguel would love it. Um, but there's something in that that's so rich. And, and, and Jody does this not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. There was one Christmas Eve where we're going through a hard time. And we finished the service and we came home. And I was in my funk and just sort of went to bed. And Jody jumped in the car and she went down to Oakland to Acts Full Gospel, where they were, ha- where Fred Hammond was leading a midnight worship service, and the next Sunday we get, the next morning we get up Christmas morning, and she's like flying high and excited, and I'm still in my funk, you know, because she used the power of worship to make her strong. So be like that. Don't be like me, and um, and, and 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 engage in worship, even if you can't. Just start. Just get started and try, and see what, how the Lord meets you in that, you know whether it's putting on some worship music or whatever. Um, Nehemiah 8 uh, said, uh, we, we read this, and this is kind of a, a poignant moment where the people of Israel are sort of um, opening up the Bible for the first time in a, in a long time. He says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we, we engage with that strength when we worship God. And remember that sometimes you don't feel like you can worship God. And, and this is so much a part of this, is just show up uh, to worship. Show up to putting the worship music on. Show up you know, to count the reasons why you're blessed today. This is something I'm working on. I'm not good at this stuff. Um, so, you know, if you're not good at it, then we're, we're two, we're a pair in this. Um, I, you know, uh, just show up to, to, to praise God and let him take it from there, to give thanks and let him take it from there. All right, let me finish with this last statement. Um, the text says that, that the good shepherd, this good shepherd, this cornerstone, the Lord himself, who we will then come to know as Jesus Christ, right? It's all pointing towards that. 
It says in verse 11, he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And that is, and and the implication there is that you are going to be following behind. He's leading and he's doing the striking and and you are going to be in tow. You're going to be in tow. You're going to be following behind. And so this is what's going to happen for you. And I want you to picture that happening for yourself uh, in the midst of the suffering that you're in this morning. And, and, and doesn't this start to feel like Exodus, right? The waters are going to part, and he's going to, you know, Moses is going to lead you through. And you keep the faith as the walls are high on either side. You're like, oh, and you go through because the Lord is taking you and he's bringing you through. That's the God we worship. That's the God we come to in our suffering. So, Lord, meet us. Help us to pass through the sea of troubles. And would you strike down the waves of the sea? Even this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Clapping? We don't normally clap after a sermon, but okay. (laughs) It was a powerful... um, message. I resonated with it, uh, Pastor Andrew, when you threw up the idols, so I was feeling it. 